Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Giving Voice to Recovery. This week's episode brought to you by Genius Unlocked Coaching Institute and the Keys to Unlocking Your Intuition Challenge. We hope that you find the voice within your intuition to be your guiding light always. Thank you and enjoy this episode brought to you by Genius Unlocked Coaching Institute. Hi, this is singer-songwriter Elizabeth Edwards. Welcome to Giving Voice to Recovery, a place we share ideas and experience for the purpose of inspiring you on your recovery journey. In this episode of Giving Voice to Recovery, I interview Kathy Stalecki. Kathy is a singer-songwriter and health coach. She is also the author of the book, waking up sober in a convent. Kathy shares how she came to that moment of clarity and realized that she needed and wanted to get sober. She takes us on her personal spiritual journey and shares her spiritual awakening, a journey from devout Catholic to finding a broader spiritual path that is still central to her life and recovery. From a novice in a convent to an empowered woman who found it essential to be true to herself and her sexuality, Kathy's personal recovery story is a beautiful demonstration of the importance of self-honesty, self-respect, and compassion. Listen and check out Kathy's book, Waking Up Sober in a Convent. Thank you, Kathy, for joining me. Um, my name is Elizabeth Edwards. I'm a singer-songwriter, and I'm also a person in long-term recovery, and I'm the host of Giving Voice to Recovery, and I'm here with Kathy Stalecki, and she is the author of a book that got my, then the title itself got her on this podcast. And then I started reading it and I went, oh, wow, I can relate to this girl. So this is awesome. Um, her book is Waking Up Sober in a Convent. Wow. So I'm going to just go ahead and let you maybe answer my first question, if you will, Kathy. Um, can you share with us just a little bit about what it was that got you to recovery? What was going on that came up to that pivot point? I am fascinated with those pivot points in life where people make a real change, especially when it comes to that change from having a problem with an addiction to going, I can't do this anymore, whatever it sounded like, looked like, felt like to you. And then life is different on the other side. I'm fascinated with those moments in time for people. Could you share that with us? Sure. Yeah, that's a powerful pivot. You know, um, great question. I was in the convent for about a year. Um, actually, about six months mm -hmm. um, when I found out my grandpa was dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. And so I went, I entered the convent in September. And I went back, and this was um, 1983. And I went back to New York home to uh, for Christmas, and that was the last time I, I saw him conscious. And um, as time went on, he he his cancer got worse. Um, he was in a coma. I went back home to say goodbye to him, and I was still drinking. Um, I went out with friends afterwards. I just the pain of seeing someone you love die of it was liver cancer so it was a very slow and painful death 
Um, he didn't know that he was dying. That's another story. They didn't tell him. Um, so I had to say things like goodbye. I'm, I'm heading back to the convent. It wasn't, I knew it was goodbye, but he didn't, he, he, he didn't know it was goodbye. So I, during that time, I saw my parents drinking a lot, my grandma drinking a lot, no conversation about feelings. And I had started to learn about feelings in the convent. We started having communications classes and I learned how important it was to communicate and be direct and, and to be in touch with your feelings. And that was new to me. That was really hard. Um, and so I, I saw how much I had grown and seeing my parents drinking away their feelings, um, their sadness, their anger. And then I realized I was doing the same thing. <laughs> um, so I went back to the convent, you know, fast forward a few, a few months. Um, the memory of that just kept gnawing at me. And I reached a point where the feelings, I couldn't stuff the feelings anymore. Alcohol wasn't working anymore. Mm -hmm. I had a night where I just cried my eyes out, missing him. Um, you know, it was unresolved grief because I was drinking at my feelings. I, I snuck some Jack Daniels into the convent and would have beer with the sisters watching baseball and then go off to my room and do a shot of Jack to kind of get that buzz going, you know? Mm -hmm. Of course, they, I never told them that. It was too embarrassing <laughs> to, to, you know, break their trust that, that much. Um, and so one night I just, I, I just couldn't stop crying. And um, I didn't have the courage to go to my novice director and tell her what was going on. But I did tell her a couple days later. And she looked at me and said, do you think your parents are alcoholic? And I was like, in that, I don't know phase, you know, I don't know, you know. And so she sent me to a family program for codependency. And during that program, we got to meet alcoholics who were in treatment. And my denial started wearing away. It's like, oh, my, I really relate to these alcoholics. And so the sisters put me through a 30 day treatment plan. And that was the impetus was the grief, the unresolved grief uh, from my grandpa's death. Mm -hmm. that really fueled, um, it was, it was an emotional bottom for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that, that opened the door. Wow. And that, op that, that breaking down of denial, I think is such an important part of that. Uh, I've heard lots of different pivot stories. I call it the pivot point moment of clarity, whatever, you know, different people call it different things. But when right. I think when people are, what I've noticed is that success in recovery is often accompanied by a really uh, painful moment in time where the alcohol isn't working or is actually causing more problems than it's helping because it, for anyone who doesn't know this, <laughs> the reason people drink isn't because it tastes so great. It's because it changes, it, it keeps the feelings down or it numbs the feelings. That's why people with substance use disorder drink. They don't drink because like it is like such a great tasting drink. They're, they're, they're fixing their feelings with alcohol. That's what's going on. Um, that's the, the very layman street ver version of it. But um, the pivot point when people are successful is often met with a point in time where there's also a solution presented. So that denial can fall away because now it, denial happens because, because there's, 
we don't know what to do. So we do what has always worked and what worked was alcohol. And now, oh, there's this other thing that could work. Some information, some new information sheds light on it and it becomes a new choice. And that's why it's so important to break down the barriers around real information getting out to people who still need to have that message that there is help. Yeah. There is help available and alcoholism is a, 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 a disease and it's a chronic uh, behavioral health illness that runs in families. Sounds like it ran in your family. Um, I, I was, your book, I was relating to the big family, the religious family, the, um, I was relating to the love of brothers and sisters. And tell us a little bit about your journey as a child and, and the alcoholic story and growing up where alcoholism looked like the normal life. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, I really thought it was normal for, you know, dad to come home from a long day's work, hard day's work and sit down with mom and have their rum and cokes before dinner. Um, you know, parties, my dad was so hospitable, you know, uh, alcohol was lined up on the counter, he was the bartender, everyone who came in, you know, what, what are you having to drink? Um, the only thing that felt a little weird in this whole alcoholism system in my family was on Saturday night where my grandma and grandpa would come down. Uh, they lived an hour north in upstate New York. They would drive down to our house and stay the weekend. Grandpa, of course, would drink too much and he'd get belligerent. And grandma and grandpa would fight in German as she's ushering him to bed. And that always was uncomfortable. But other than that, you know, there wasn't any used to speak of. I mean, my, my dad was old school, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child kind of discipline, mm -hmm. but you know, it, they were happy drunks, you know, mm -hmm. that's all I can say. They were pretty happy. In fact, they, they had good tolerance. I, I wouldn't even say that they were drunk. They just had, they drank enough that their tolerance increased. They were functional alcoholics. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad kept a job. My mom was a stay at home mom. Um, and that's just the way it was. And then, you know, when I hit 14 years old, that was the first time I, I got drunk on Halloween. You know, we planned it out. We, we knew someone who was over 18 who could buy us a, a case of beer and we hid it in the woods and we went trick or treating. And, you know, that was my introduction to actually getting a good buzz on. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it, it, the alcohol helped me come out of my shell because I was very shy. I was very shy and uncomfortable with my feelings. Um, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but I had crushes on girls ever since I could remember. And I was trying to figure out what that meant. And so the alcohol was just another way to kind of push that aside and not have to really look at it. Um, I think a lot of people who um, recognize, especially in adolescence, that they are, um, uh, you know, gay or lesbian um, or different in any way, but especially that group of people, I think those groups of people have had such a difficult time in life that alcohol, even if you didn't have a predisposition toward it, can take and relieve some of the societal pain of that awareness. And especially probably during the time you were going through this, I think it's a little bit better now, but I still know that the numbers behind the statistics behind adolescents that are coming to terms with that 
you know, that, that unique terminal uniqueness of that, which in reality is just the way some people, it's just a matter of fact, really. And it's society that is finally shifting and seeing people as individuals in all of their wonderful differences, instead of being the, the adolescent that probably already felt awkward. Um, you see the statistics, I don't know if you're familiar, but the statistics for um, especially young males who are um, either coming out or struggling with coming out, that is a really pivotal time where a lot of people get caught up in addiction. Was that kind of coinciding with that? Sounds like it kind of was. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe give some give some shout out to the future selves of, of, of folks who are going through that? Sure, sure. Yeah, it, it was, um, it was just such a struggle, you know, uh, especially throughout high school, mm -hmm. um, trying to fit in trying to make friends. Um, because I always felt like I was different, that I couldn't mm -hmm. totally just be myself. Mm -hmm. um, so again, the alcohol helped, I found ways to relate, you know, I was playing basketball and softball, I was really good at sports. Mm -hmm. And that was one way I could feel good about myself. Um, you know, it, I was a good student, um, but, you know, for those who are struggling, you know, I, I just really want to share that getting sober opens so many doors, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's, it, it doesn't help to have a crutch when you're trying to step into who you really are. It, it, it closes the door. It, it's, it's an obstacle. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I'm getting chills, you know, it, yeah. it, I, I got sober before I actually came out. So I was sober about five years, mm -hmm. I believe, before I came out. I got sober at 21 and I came out at 25. Mm -hmm. So four years. And it was the hardest sobriety at that stage because I kept struggling with who, who my feelings. You know, all these feelings are coming out. Mm -hmm. I started writing music uh -huh. and all of these feelings we're, we're trying to come out and my even my songwriting was stifled mm -hmm. and you know I'm so grateful for support you know I asked for help I went I was in counseling I was in counseling for three years with one counselor just to kind of uh, unpack my childhood to try to understand what was so dysfunctional with this family mm -hmm. and why was I so dysfunctional and how to start making changes and then I switched after a while, I only got so far. And then I, I found another counselor and it was with her help and a spiritual director that I was finally able to come out. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just so, such a relief. I bet. Um, I have huge compassion for people that have go through the, that process. I know what it's like to try to get honest with yourself to stay sober because getting self-honest is a big part of, of getting, getting and staying sober. I can't imagine the internal conflict of being afraid, especially coming from a religious background where that's not, I think it's a little bit more acceptable now, but still today there's, there are religious groups of people that still have real boundaries around that's not okay. And that just, I mean, I, I can't imagine the pain of that, having to try to be self-honest and know that if I'm truly to thine own self be true, as it says on the, you know, the, the 12 step yeah. chips says to thine own self yeah. be true. 
tell yourself the truth and then have that freedom inside to be who you are in the world. That to me is like, you know, that's like double gymnastic backflips in recovery. So I, I just might, you know, my hat goes off to you and anyone who's ever had to come to terms with the fear that that must have brought up for you. So thank you for sharing that because I think that might help some other people. I do want to also say that as a person who's straight, um, it has helped me tremendously to be in the rooms with people Mm -hmm. of every type of life because my understanding of what, of the feelings, my compassion level is so much more than it would have been had I not been in the rooms with all kinds of different people. So thank you for the honesty because it helped me grow. Thank you, thank mm-hmm. you. You know, it, we, we grow so much by getting to know each other in the rooms. You know, I think um, if someone walks into the rooms, walks into recovery with you know minimal empathy, mm-hmm. it, it has such a capacity to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just want to share this, this, this image that I got when I got sober, I felt like there was such a level of honesty that I felt like I had been walking around with shoulder pads on because my, my shoulder, my traps, my, uh, all these muscles were so tight, trying to stay in control, trying to drink, but not go too far overboard or try, I, I was hiding it was, I was hiding. And so, you know, getting sober was one level of honesty that like, I felt a sense of relief. Mm -hmm. And then when I was finally able to come out, I I, I had done, I had been doing some inner child work throughout that time until I finally came out. And then I continue. I, inner child work for me was powerful. Very. When I finally, (laughs) yeah. Pardon this brief interruption, but we want to invite you to come to the next Keys to Unlocking Your Intuition challenge. Have you ever struggled with fear or an inner critic voice that thinks maybe you're not good enough to go for your biggest, baddest dream? But what if you are good enough? Come to this class and you can learn how to release fear and turn down the volume of that inner voice that thinks maybe you're not good enough so you can truly tap into your unlimited potential by turning up the volume of your intuition. Come to this five-day class and you will get five teachings from certified life coaches and you will have one-on-one support from your personal coach. We hope to see you inside. This one small step could absolutely change your life. Scroll down to the show notes and click on the keys to unlocking your intuition link to sign up today. We'll see you on the other side. When I finally came out, I had this little picture of little Kathy, you know, looking up at me going, finally, you listen to me. Yeah. You know, it's like she was trying to tell me and I kept trying to shove her down oh. in sobriety I tried shoving her down with chocolate you know I would just <laughs> and I tried to get sober from chocolate you know clean from chocolate and at one point I remember getting the image of like taking little Kathy taking a baby and shoving her down the toilet I was just so violently trying to get rid of these feelings mm. with chocolate or whatever <laughs> it could be anything you know um, and so it was such an affirmation when I finally accepted it. Yeah. Um, and, and the whole God thing was, it was a big part. You know, I, I had to come to terms with, well, first getting sober. Do I want alcohol to be my God? I mean, that's an insult to God. I want God to be my God. Yeah. So that's what tipped the scales, you know, to help me get yeah. sober. 
I, I want mm-hmm. a higher power that treats me well. <laughs> yes. 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 Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. And then, and then the whole God thing, it was like, well, I, I started coming to terms with God is love. God is unconditional love. And what is love, but being respectful to others, being respectful to myself, yeah. um, you know, being generous, giving, receiving. It's like, what is so bad about love? No matter who you love, what is bad about that? I think and you're, so touch- you're like, touching on a, a core principle that I operate from, and it came from the work that I've done in the codependency realm, um, because yes. I, you kind of alluded to, oh, yeah, there's like there's this layer and then there's this layer and you keep going. But respect for me is the foundation because love without respect isn't really love. And it starts with self-respect. Yeah. And tell myself the truth and respect it. Respect mm-hmm. truth. Respect myself. Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah, and so your God journey is really an interesting one as well. I mean, your story is really fascinating. I, I loved how you talked about your devotion early in life. You had a real connection. It's very clear. You had a real connection with a higher with, with God of your understanding at that time. What what happened with your God journey through recovery? Can can you share a little bit? Especially if you were Catholic, you went to a convent to become a nun. Right. And then you realized alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Gay, lesbian, gay. How does that how did you come to terms with all of that? It, through the through the lens of your relationship with your higher power how did you do that you know when, when I when I came out I I tried going to dignity for a while which is mm-hmm. a Catholic organization of gays and lesbians mm-hmm. so they would have mass in the evening on a Sunday and um, it, it started to feel like still trying to get mom and dad's approval you know mm-hmm. um, like, you know, the Catholic Church wasn't approving gays and lesbians, and yet we were, like, still trying, please approve us, you know, and I'm like, I, I started to have enough of it, and I got asked uh, by a friend in AA to sing at an MCC church variety show, and I bring my friend Sue along, um, we called ourselves the Serenity Sisters, mm-hmm. we met in recovery, Sue's blind, she's straight, She's a country singer, beautiful voice, and we are, are alto, soprano, it just, nice. you know, melted together. And so we sang at this variety show, and these people were so loving and so fun that I was like, I have to check out this church. And so I went to this church, and they did communion, and they believed in Jesus, and it felt very uh, much like the Catholic Mass. You know, mm-hmm. the format of the service was very familiar. And so... Um, you know, I share in the book that eventually I became a member, but I still felt like a traitor when I walked up there mm-hmm. to become a member of this church. Mm-hmm. And Reverend Brad, um, he was such a spiritual leader for me, such a nurturer. Mm-hmm. He's since he's on the other side now, uh, on spirit side, I call it. Sure. And he said, you know, we thank you. We thank every path that led you to this place. Yeah. And that was affirming to me like, yeah, you know, my, my path is... I, I, I honor my path that brought me this far. And then, you know, I spent many years in MCC and then eventually I moved, I moved uh, quite a bit. I moved from St. Louis where I got sober 
to Phoenix, Arizona. I, I, uh, Brad and his partner actually went to Phoenix and I kind of followed them because I felt drawn to the desert. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I wind up in San Diego and I didn't go to church for a while. I, I focused more on meditation. Mm-hmm. And I remember at AA meetings, I wanted to say, I'm Kathy and I'm a meditator. because I was getting so into meditation it was so powerful and come full circle um you know I I I was introduced to spiritualism you know with uh being able to feel our loved one's presence on the other side Mm -hmm. um I'm still trying to develop that that intuitive part of me absolutely Um, but I I, just this past weekend I, I took an online webinar on personal mediumship, you know, mm-hmm. trying to strengthen our entunement with spirit, whether mm-hmm. it's our spirit guides, Holy Spirit, however you want to think of it, Jesus, how uh, loved ones who are on the other side. Mm-hmm. And what really struck me was, you know, we can say like, I am, I'm going to turn 58 this month, next week. Oh, happy um, like, Thank you. Like I am 58. I am a health coach. I am a basketball player. I am. And Everything after I am is conditional. It changes. Mm-hmm. But what is not conditional is I am. Yeah. You, know, you are. Mm-hmm. And that's our spirit nature. That's, you know, we, we are a touch of the divine. We are the wave and God is the ocean, you know. And um, that just helps keep me grounded. So that's opened up my spirituality, you know, beyond measure. I, I love your journey. I, 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 we've talked a little bit about it before this interview, and I, I just felt like we totally clicked. I, I had a very similar um, experience with kind of a heavy-duty, very um, structured concept around religion. But when, we, when I got sober, um, and I had a lot of trauma around that, and then when I actually got sober, I was able to come back to that internal world of connecting with that higher universal power and that's the power that keeps me sober and i you know and i'm a songwriter as well as you know which we we connected on all these points i i said oh yeah this here's a friend i haven't i haven't run into in a couple lifetimes or something it's kind of what i was thinking when you and i talked and i thought you know um that higher power whatever word you give it whatever language you give it that none of that is the important part. The important part is that you recognize that the connecting piece to it is within you. And it says in the book, down deep inside every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. And when the first time I read that, I went, that's true. That's where it is. All the stories about it. In fact, I used to, um, I'll, I'll have to tell you my Ireland metaphor real quick. Yeah, I wanted to go to Ireland. It was a historic. So we started planning a trip to Ireland. I got maps. I got music. I started eating Irish food. I studied the history of Ireland, but I still hadn't been to Ireland. Mm-hmm. And then when I went mm-hmm. to Ireland, I went, ah, the experience of Ireland. Okay, so that's how it is with connecting with God when you really connect on that level. And it takes that it did for me. It took yeah. that commitment to work at that connection to stay sober. Mm-hmm. Was that true for you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I, I must admit there, there are times when I get a little, a little lazy, you know, I let my <laughs> mind get a little lazy and, 
and like it would be nice to have like an O'Doul's. It's minimal <laughs> alcohol, no big deal. But then I, I'm like slippery slope. Yeah. Um, do I want to? Do I really want to jeopardize what I what I have? Yeah. And my spiritual connection is everything to me. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting because um, I've wanted to be more spiritually in tune for many years. Um, even I remember even more clearly in 1997 when I moved to Phoenix, I met someone who was very in tune. It's like I want that. And just recently, when I did this class this weekend, I felt like my grandpa came to me. Mm. And he was like reminding me, you know, sobriety is, I helped you get sober. You know, I died that way so that you would have that grief experience and you would get sober. Don't throw it away from nothing, you know, with his German accent. I (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I think it's so cool that we're reminded throughout our lives as sober people. I've had many times and and it sounds like you have too, where... This, it's funny, the word spirit for alcohol and the word spirit for higher power, they're different and yet they're the same in that one is a, a true higher power that really, it takes time, but it will guide you to a place where you feel really great about your life. And the other one will give you a short high and it will mm-hmm. take you to a place where you feel really bad about your life. Yes. And it's so easy to get those mixed up. Yeah, I, 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 when people ask me about, you know, I live near the wine country in California, in fact, right mm-hmm. in it, pretty much. And um, the, I'm not tempted by the non-alcoholic wines or any of that, because I know that I, I'm happy that there's people in the world who do that, because it totally is a full industry <laughs> that supports mm-hmm. the economy here. And I bless them. They enjoy it. I'm happy for them. I'm just not one of them. I'm just right. not for the people who can do that chemically, behaviorally. I just don't, I'm just not made that way. So when you were um, coming to terms and I, I, I want to, I want to wrap up with a couple of things um, and thank you for sharing on, on such a personal level. Um, I think that your message can reach people in probably, probably more people than you think need to hear from people that have gone through what you have gone through. Your story is powerful. Um, I do wanna have you, if you would, share with me, um, share with us, all of us who are gonna hear this. Um, you know, recover, or, uh, substance use disorder is a chronic behavioral health mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. What, and yet it's very highly stigmatized. What do you want people to know about addiction, recovery, and what's available? What would you like them to know that maybe they don't know? Maybe they're not already um, in recovery. Maybe they know somebody who they suspect might need help. Maybe they themselves need help. Maybe they don't think they do, and, but maybe there's a part of them that thinks they. What do people need to know, the general public as well, about recovery? Yeah. Oh, one of the biggest things that helped me was, was to look at it as a disease, Um, you know, a disorder. Um, It's not a, it's not a moral uh, judgment. It's, it's, you know, are you going to take responsibility for yourself and your health or not? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're diabetic, 
it's still up to you to take responsibility for, for your recovery. Mm-hmm. And so um, listen to that nudge, that still small little voice that says, something's not right here. You're not happy. This is not working. And, and reach out for help. Now, um, you don't have to do it alone. The doors that open when you say that first, you know, I, I need help. I'm willing, I'm willing to do this. Take me where I need to go. Whether it's an AA meeting, a treatment center, whatever it is you need, you know, the doors that open from that one yes. I, I love that saying about, you know, to have faith is just as small as a mustard seed, just that little bit of willingness. It 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 grows. And you just you don't even know what the future is gonna bring. And you don't have to, you know, but just be willing. Be willing to ask for help and, and listen to that little voice that's trying to help you see the truth. Yeah, and I would I would also encourage people that if you go and ask and you don't feel like you're getting the right help, go to the next place and keep asking yeah. until you get it. You will probably get an overwhelming amount of help when you ask, but just mm-hmm. in case you don't, or you feel like you don't fit, just know that there is a plethora of information and places to go and, and get that help. How is you, uh, I, I love to end on a happy note. You seem like a happy and fulfilled person. Tell us what your life's like today, Kathy. Well, I, I finally met the, the partner I was looking for for over 50 years, um, Andrea, we're, we're married now four years and I'm living in Kentucky and Lexington and um, just, I'm enjoying life with my two pups. And um, I was blessed to be working from home before COVID and I have a wonderful job working as a health coach, empowering people to take care of their health. Um, I just love to empower and uplift people and, you know, no matter whether it's, you know, muscular skeletal health or recovery or recovering from grief, whatever it is, I, I, I love being a coach. I love uh, empowering people to, to be their best selves. That's awesome. I think that's terrific. That's kind of how you and I met each other through a coaching situation. And we found we had all this other stuff in common. And you, you called me and you said, did they put us together on purpose? <laughs> and then after I started learning about you, I thought, you know, I don't know if they did, but somebody <laughs> did. Spirit yeah. did. Definitely. So how can yeah. people uh, find your book? And how, and I know you have some music out there too. So tell us a little bit about that and how people can learn more about connecting with you as a coach, as a musician, and as an author. Sure. Um, I have a website, uh, kathystalecki.com. For fun, it's also under wakingupsober.com. <laughs> That's kind of easy to remember. Um, it's also available at Amazon. Mm-hmm. And um, my music, they, they could message me through my website and let me know if they'd like to buy a CD. I, I have some CDs. Um, and yeah, I would, I would love to share it with you. And your website um, covers your coaching re- uh, address as well. Can people, if they were interested in your, your uh, health coaching as well? Um, yes, I'm working for a company right now and I'm finding that's uh, very satisfying and pretty consuming. Okay. So no private clients right now. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, no private clients at this, gotcha. at this time. Yeah, absolutely. So one more time with the website <laughs> and I'll put the, I'll put it in our notes as well. 
Sure, that'd be great. Yeah, it's um, it's easier uh, to remember waking up sober. Wakingupsober.com. Definitely. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so glad we took this opportunity to share your story. And um, thank you for your vulnerability and sharing your story. I know that it will help others. So thank you once again, Kathy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I appreciate the opportunity to share.